الله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وآله الطاهرين اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد وعجل فرجه So as I said in our last session um, we are entering this last part of the book which is the longest part so don't be too happy <laughs> it's the longest part the most important part maybe although that's something to think about I personally don't necessarily think that it's the most important part. I think the most important part might even be the section that we just finished, which was the last section, which had to do with removal of uh, the barriers of spiritual growth. And so there were five discussions we had there, if you remember. The first one was Tawbah, the second one was Zuhd, the third one was Riyadha, fourth one was muraqaba and muhasaba and the fifth one was taqwa um, and they were all there were lots of important points that were made there by the ayatollah and last week um, the idea of taqwa and how that plays a role in us gaining ma'rifah that's such an important um, discussion that we talked about last week alright so that is the section on removal of obstacles. Now we move on into the actual stages. That ladder that you're climbing towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What's that ladder going to look like? What's that path going to look like? First thing he says here is that um, spiritual wayfaring is of a vertical nature, not of a horizontal one. But then he explains what he means by that. He says that this vertical movement towards Allah is not one from from one makan to another makan. Okay, we have this word makan. What does makan mean? It means place, right? So, even if you are going from one area, one place to one that's higher, even okay, one that's higher even, but it's in this world, that is not the type of spiritual wayfaring he has in mind. That's just movement. That actually, he says, is a horizontal movement, not a vertical one. If like I'm standing here at zero, zero feet elevation, then I go up a mountain, for example. When I go up a mountain, I am higher, but since it's all at the level of this dunya, it really counts as a horizontal movement, not a vertical movement. For him, he says, not the, it's not about place, it's about placement, alright? So you see what I did there with the words, right? Place versus placement, where you're located on this level or these degrees of actual spiritual growth, not physical um, uh, location and whatnot. Or else if I'm at the lowest level of this world and I go to the highest mountain, still from this perspective it is, a ver it is not a vertical uh, elevation, it is rather it's horizontal still because it's at the same level of existence. Okay, so now, he says, look, spiritual wayfaring is one not of place, but placement. The Farsi he uses, makan versus makan, makanat. Alright? These are two different words, although they, although they sound the same, but makan versus makana in Farsi means place versus placement. Okay? Well, where are you getting this from, uh, Ayatollah Jawadi? The fact that 
this movement is a vertical movement. He says the wording of the Qur'an. So this book that he's written, of course, is based on the Qur'an, right? So it's stages of akhlaq in the Qur'an. So he says, look, when, we look, at, when I look at the Qur'an, that's, those are the words that are being used. Those are the terms that are being used. يَرْفَعُ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مِنْكُمْ وَالَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْعِلْمِ دَرَجَاتِ يَرْفَعُ Allah elevates. What does that mean? Does he take me to the top of a mountain or something? What's going on here? No, 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 it's not about that. He places me at a higher degree, at a higher placement, let's say. So he says, look, the word يَرْفَعُ is used here, which means to elevate. So it's vertical. إِلَيْهِ يَسْعَدُ الْكَلِمُ That was, a, let me just cite the verse. That was Surah Mujadala, verse 11. Surah Fatir, verse 10. إِلَيْهِ يَسْعَدُ الْكَلِمُ الطَّيِّبُ وَالْعَمَلُ الصَّالِحُ يَرْفَعُ That the proper belief, the pure belief, is one that is aiming towards Him, moves towards Him, moves towards Allah. And Al-Amal Salih Yarfa'u. Again, you see that same word. That good deeds are what rise and, and elevate our beliefs. Once again, elevation here, not a physical elevation, but there's something going on from a spiritual perspective. وَرَفَعْنَاهُ مَكَانًا عَلِيًّا Prophet Idris salam. This is Surah Maryam, verse 57. رَفَعْنَاهُ مَكَانًا عَلِيًّا We elevated and raised Idris salam to مَكَانًا عَلِيًّا A high point, a high place. Was it that he took him to a mountain? Not necessarily. What is meant here is, we gave him a higher rank. رَفِيعُ الدَّرَجَاتِ ذُو الْعَرْشِ Allah is رَفِيعُ الدَّرَجَاتِ He has the highest level and highest degrees. Highest. Once again, Rafi' comes from the same root. Dhul Arsh, the possessor of the throne. So he says, he concludes from all of this, Ayatullah Jawad. He says, look, so Sayr ilallah, movement towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is a movement towards high ranks, high degrees. Yes. And so these people, the believers, are the ones who enjoy these ranks. And so he says, okay, it's a journey like this, going up, and not just up like the way was his name did? Jeff Bezos did. He went up. But that is horizontal in our dictionary. Remember this. He says, if we have a vertical movement, and the definition of vertical being what we talked about, then you're going to have to have provision, a special provision for it. Right? If we're driving out to camp, we stop at a 7-Eleven, we stop at a Bucky's, we grab what we need. Right? That is... Uh, in accordance with the journey that we're going to be making and fulfills those needs, correct? If the journey is a special journey like this one, it's going to have its own provisions that we're going to have to take with us. Alright, so then he says, if this is that type of journey, you have provisions, at the same time there's something else you have to keep in mind too. And that is a road map. And that's where this whole book comes into the picture by the way the stages of akhlaq in the Qur'an, in other words, it is a road map. Why? When you are climbing a mountain, okay, for the first time, no one else has climbed that mountain before. Um, it's going to be very hard. Every step you take might even result in, of course, I mean, if you haven't taken the safety precautions and safety measures 
every step might end up with in your life being lost, right? But nowadays, like all these famous mountains that people climb, they all have these uh, these markers and indicators and signs and whatnot, correct? So you know, I mean, you can rest assured that okay, if I'm on if I'm on this path, it's the right path because others have made it alive, or else there would be no markers here. <laughs> Trust me, if there's no markers, there. Maybe somebody had tried that path, but they don't, they don't exist no longer, you know? <laughs> that kind of thing. A marker and a sign is, it indicates that, hey, if you made it here, someone else was here alive too. Alright? So he says, these works, these books, these lessons by the greats that speak of the different stages of spiritual wayfaring, these are actually, they play that role of the indicators, the markers, so that you know you're getting it right. You know you're starting, okay, if, he, if, if he's saying this is what you're supposed to start with, okay, that's where I'm going to start from, versus just trying to figure everything on our own. So he says here, he says, the awliya, the prophets, the chosen ones of Allah, they were able to make it without the need for any other humans to show them the way. Right? But for the rest, it's not going to be the case. Very seldom, very seldom does it happen that someone really makes it. Now when I say makes it, it doesn't mean doesn't go to Jahannam or something. No, makes it meaning like makes it to like very high points of spirituality. Um, very seldom does someone make it without someone else kind of showing them the way. There are some in history though that we have who made it without a teacher, they say. Yeah, one of them. Uh, the, the, the late uh, Sheikh Al-Ansari Al-Hamadani his name is I've talked about him before as well uh, he's one that they say he made it without a teacher it's hard someone's got to teach him yeah so sometimes Allah himself gets involved but usually or if so, for example Ayatollah Bahauddin is famous that they say he also made it without a guide in that sense but all in all all in all, as I've said before, those initial steps, everyone knows them anyway. And what is to come, Allah can even take your hand. But this, he says the purpose of all of these, this is like an introduction to the whole chapter, by the way, of, uh, of these stages. He's explaining why, these, why, why are people even writing about these things and discussing them. Because these serve as a roadmap for us. Yeah, And you will find a lot of overlap, but then you will also find overlap between different ulama okay you'll find a lot of overlap but sometimes they will have differences of opinion as well okay and so with that he moves on into the first stage of spiritual growth and wayfaring he says look after we've gotten taken care of the tawbah taking care of the taqwa and taking care of muhasaba and muraqaba and all these things riyadha all these the first uh, thing that will really help a person is Iman. That's where it starts from. Now Ayatollah Jawadi has a footnote here. He says, we're basing this book off of Awsaful Ashraf of Khawaja Nasiruddin Tusi. But he says, I do disagree with the fact that he started with Iman. I say it starts with Ma'rifah and just gaining some knowledge of God first. But he says that's a given. And that is in the belly of Iman. So let's just start from Iman. It all starts with Iman. Alright? What is Iman? 
is it uh, yaqeen to know that God exists and all that stuff or is it more than that? He says no. Alamat Tawatawai here actually I'm going to read off of a little bit of uh, Tafsir al-Mizan for this one. He says having faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, iman in Allah is not just that a person knows and understands that Allah is haq. That's not enough. Why? Why do you say this? He says because this can be gathered with and be in one place with still denying God. You know He exists but you still deny Him. Really? How is that possible? He says, look, even the Quran says this. anfusuhum." He says they denied God's signs. There were people who denied God's signs. وَاسْتَيْقَنَتْهَا Where does istaiqana come from? Which root does it come from? Yaqeen. Istaiqanatha. They had yaqeen. Their nafs, their souls, their selves, whatever, their hearts had yaqeen in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yet they still jahadu biha. They still denied. He says, look, if you can bring yaqeen and right next to it put denial, he says, then that shows that iman is not the same thing as yaqeen. It's more than yaqeen. Or else they wouldn't be coming together. It's like saying, I can be mu'min and kafir at the same time. Believe in God and not believe in God? Well, how does that work? He says, it shows that there's another layer to iman that can set it apart from yaqeen. If yaqeen, knowing something is true, yet denying it can come together, it shows that iman is not the same thing as yaqeen. Well, what's going on here then? Explain. He says, so we can conclude that iman is not just understanding something. But rather it is also encompassing of a special acceptance. So you sometimes have yaqeen of something, but you haven't, he's saying, you haven't accepted it yet. You haven't embraced it yet. Well, what is that? How does that work? He says, for that to happen, there has to be some form of submission as well. You get what I'm saying? And not submission in the sense of, oh, I'm not going to sin anymore and all of that. No, people will still sin. But I want to say this. I want to explain what he's saying by saying this. That submission here means that you know, even if you're doing something wrong, you know you're doing something wrong. You know you're not supposed to be doing this. Things like that. It's a special embracement or embracing of that which you have yaqeen of anyway. Okay? So there's three things here. Juhud to deny, to have yaqeen, and then to embrace. Yeah. So he says that is what constitutes iman. That you give in to the implications of the yaqeen that you have as well. Versus fighting it, versus standing up against it and resisting it. And he says, look, this has to do with the heart. He, says, he cites this verse of, of the Qur'an. He says, look, it's, this verse is showing that it has something to do with the heart, not just the mind understanding something. The heart accepting. He says, look, in this verse it says, فَمَنْ يُرِدِ اللَّهُ أَنْ يَهْدِيَهُ يَشْرَحْ صَدْرَهُ لِلْإِسْلَامِ That whoever Allah wishes to guide, يَهْدِيَهُ Okay, so we're talking about iman, we're talking about hidayah, we're talking about these things, right? Whoever Allah wishes to Guide, yashrah sadrahu lil-Islam. He will expand that person's heart or chest for Islam, to accept and to embrace, to submit. Islam here probably means to submit. 
So it has something to do with the heart. And versus the person who Allah doesn't want to guide. Now, of course, Allah doesn't want to guide that person because they themselves didn't want it, by the way. Okay? It's not like God just says, oh, you don't look too good. I'm not going to give guidance to you. It's not something random. وَمَنْ يُرِدْ أَنْ يُضِلَّهُ يَجْعَلْ صَدْرَهُ ضَيِّقًا حَرَجًا كَأَنَّمَا يَصَّعَدُ فِي السَّمَاءِ And whoever Allah doesn't want to guide, doesn't say doesn't give him knowledge of things doesn't show him miracles so that the person achieves yaqeen, doesn't say anything, anything like that. What does it say? It says he makes his chest or heart dayyiq, yes, uh, narrow and tight. What happens as a result? There's no room for Islam submission to go in there, yeah? Now it's interesting that, let me open a parenthesis here, the end of the verse is an interesting, it has an interesting uh, point. It says Allah will make their chest tight as if they are uh, going up in the sky. Now some people, this is a parenthesis, okay, it's not related to spirituality. <laughs> some people have said like, look, there's a scientific uh, fact in here. When you, go, when you go up into space and you go higher and higher and higher, can you breathe as easy as you could on earth? No, you can't, right? So it's saying that the same way you start getting smothered and suffocated as you go up in the atmosphere, right? That same way, Allah will make your chest tight for accepting the truth and embracing it. So it's interesting, some try to use this verse as a, something scientific here, you know? Scientific proof for the Qur'an. Yeah. Others might say some other things, but I remember seeing this somewhere. Alright, but anyway, let's go back to what we were talking about. It says, okay, so, Hidayah, and which is a special Hidayah that Allah gives, which is Iman, this comes as a result of the heart being open enough to accept it. So it's not just something intellectual. Yeah, Some of the greatest philosophers might be some of the greatest uh, kuffar even. Alright, so that's Iman. That's Iman according to Allama Tawatabai in Al-Mizan. Now Ayatollah Jawadi, he begins explaining, he says, look, Iman has different stages and levels, of course, and we talked about this last session as well. And uh, there are different grades of Iman, and Iman can get stronger and weaker, some think by studying philosophy, others by uh, having taqwa. We talked about this, right? Now he says, there are different levels and grades of Iman, but there's one that we just, we're not even going to talk about, it's not even Iman. And that is when you just say it with, your, with the tongue and you verbally uh, pronounce, uh, announce it. Okay? That has nothing for you spiritually if there isn't something in the heart. Remember we said Iman has to do with the heart. Yes, it'll save you in this life from certain things. You'll be seen as uh, just another person that's living in a Muslim state, for example, that you have to be taken care of as well and all that. Who cares about what's going on in your heart when it comes to these matters? But if you want actual growth, then of course it has to have penetrated the heart. The Quran says the Arab, these Bedouins, some of them they came, they said, Amanna, we believe. No, 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 you don't believe. Because belief is not just something that is has to do with the mind, it has to do with the heart. Aslamna. You know, we, we submit, we'll listen to whatever you say, we'll abide by the rules and all of that. But uh, Islam is one thing, Iman is another thing. Islam has to do with the dhahir of an individual, what's going on, the rules that pertain to you in an Islamic state and all that kind of stuff. But 
whether it's going to help you in the akhirah or not, but whether it's going to, you're going to elevate and move vertically as we talked about in the beginning of today's talk, that's a different story. No, 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 no. وَلَمَّا يَدْخُلِ الْإِيمَانِ فِي قُلُوبِكُمْ It has not entered your hearts. So it's all about the heart when it comes to that spiritual growth. Now, this will have its own grades. We might talk about later. But he says, look, it starts with the lowest and most basic level of iman, which is he calls iman taqlidi. Qalbi taqlidi. So it's qalbi, but it's taqlidi at the same time. So he makes sure that he brings the condition of the heart there. It isn't the heart, but at the end of the day, it is a taqlidi belief. What does that mean? Belief that is taqlidi, meaning that you follow someone else in it and on it. You do taqlid in beliefs. Whoa! Haven't we all heard that famous line that you're not allowed to do taqlid when it comes to beliefs? Now it's interesting in that uh, Islamic belief system that I taught years ago, there I made this point, because I remember coming across this point in Ayatollah Kharrazi's Aqa'id book. He makes this point and I love him for it. That who says, even if you're doing taqlid and beliefs, it doesn't count? Who says? Were all of the Bedouins of the Prophet's time philosophers? to have gone and researched philosophically and theologically uh, the claims of the Prophet and then come to a conclusion? Or they did taqlid of the Prophet, that's what they did. You and I growing up, right when we turned baligh, is it all of a sudden some switch in our minds like flipped and now all of a sudden we're philosophers now and we know why we're Muslim and all that stuff. You know it gets on my nerves, you know, the smile that I have right now is a bitter smile. It gets on my nerves because it just sounds cool for you to go to go and lecture and then uh, tell the people tell the people that a faith only has value that you have figured out yourself and done research for yourself. Yeah, of course it has a lot of value but don't devalue the faith of others who's a very basic faith. Why do you believe? Well, I mean Sunday school. <laughs> That's what I learned in Sunday school. My teachers told me, you know, I was born into the faith. Is this has no value at all? Is this, is this the case? Is that, is that how it is? Now, Ayatollah Kharrazi says that. It made me really happy to see that Ayatollah Jawadi is saying this too. That yeah, there is a basic faith that matters and counts. That Karbala'i Kazim that I talked about last session. Illiterate. Yet he made it to places that a lot of the Ayatollahs didn't. <laughs> all these uh, the theologians who have figured out Islam and uh, it's everything for them is airtight. Yeah? They, they, he made it to places that they never made it to. Why? Because it's a simple, basic faith that he acted upon. This is why taqwa is so important that we talked about before. Because even that very simple, basic, primitive faith that a person has that is taqlidi, even that with the taqwa and with the amal, they can reach these high levels that philosophers haven't reached, theologians haven't reached. So the point I'm trying to make here, and this is kind of a parenthesis, by the way, that who says a taqlidi iman is not enough? Yeah, it will be prone to a lot of threats. As you grow older, questions are going to arise in your mind. Yeah, you better address those. You better take care of those. 
when I'm 20, 25, 30, all of this, I have to like, there, there will be more and more questions. Yeah, that's fine. But you can't call somebody out because now they're like 18 years old. They've been balik for like three years, let's say. Two years. Have you, have you gone, because I've, I've heard this, brothers and sisters, I've heard this. It just sounds cool when you're lecturing about it. Have you gone and done research and looked into all of the faiths of the world and then uh, refuted all of them, disproven all of them, and then come to the conclusion that Islam is the right faith? Bro, get out of my face, man. Unnecessary guilt. That's one thing I have problems with. Unnecessary guilt that's given to people. Now, this is one example of it, and a lot of other examples of it. Over things that are not priority. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, there is a risk in it, yes. There is a risk in it. As I said, it's prone. So as this child is growing, as questions come up, they need to address those questions. Correct? That's what I'm trying to say. But let's just say that no questions come up for this person and they have the right beliefs, but it's just not the beliefs that they reached through philosophy. I'm not going to shoot it down now. That's all I'm trying to say right now. Yeah, sometimes out of taqlid, a person will have the wrong beliefs. Now that's between them and God, by the way. Even then I'm not supposed to open my mouth and judge people. Right? They might have the wrong beliefs. They tried their best. They don't have what it takes to figure things out. Fine, whatever. I don't know. I don't know. All I'm trying to say is this. If a person has according to Ayatollah Jawadi, the right belief, but this right belief came out of taqlid. Because Sunday school teacher taught me this. Because mom and dad taught me this. Because such, such a so-and-so local alim said so even. right? This does not rule out the fact that sometimes as a result of this we will have problems. It doesn't rule that out, yes. There are a lot of beliefs, a lot of practices and rituals we have today that have no basis in our, in our Islamic literature. They don't. And these are hurting us today. There's no doubt about that. That's the dunyavi aspect of it. But right now we're talking about the spiritual growth aspect, the akhirah aspect of it. Right? We have to be very careful. If some people are doing certain things even sometimes, right? For, let's say for Imam Hussein And we feel that we disagree with that. That is a... That is a an academic matter that can be discussed. But I can't question this person's spirituality as a result of having the wrong practice. If they're listening to such and such alim, such and such ma, 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 mother or father or Sunday school teacher or whatever. You see, I'm trying to show that there's a distinction here to be made. One side we have the spiritual acceptance of Allah towards that act or that belief. Another one is the ramifications of a certain act or belief that might come up as a result of you know not following the perfectly right individual, for example. Yeah, there will still be uh, ramifications. Uh, I'll give a very bad example, okay? Just to show that there are two aspects here. If a person doesn't know that this, uh, that this uh, glass in front of them is full of intoxicant and drinks it, all right? Because the rule is you can drink it until you're sure it's haram, right? And so this person, in one go, so that they don't find out you know, if you go in one go and drink it all up, you won't really sense, you know, intoxication. This person in one go drinks it, really relying on that rule of fiqh that says you can drink something that you're not sure is haram, or, is najis or not. This person, based on fiqh, drinks that. Will they get intoxicated or not? 
Yes. That's one aspect. That is one of the ramifications of this act, whether we like it or not. That's one thing. But will they be held accountable from a spirituality slash day of judgment perspective? That's a different story. So here also, yes, taqlidi iman is a risk. Totally it is. I, I agree. And there can be certain ramifications as a result of it. But when we look at history from the Prophet's time all the way till today, the majority of the people, that's what it's been. Even during the Prophet's time, it's been like that. They look at the character of the Prophet. Our teacher used to say this, like the Prophet would lean, would, uh, would speak to Allah and say, Oh Allah, I don't know why they don't believe. My people, they don't embrace the faith while they look at me, they see me. The character of the Prophet is enough for them to believe. As a matter of fact, till today, I want us to go and see how many people, how many disbelievers turn into believers as a result of intellectual endeavor versus a good akhlaq for someone. All these stories about Imam Hassan and Imam Hussain of a person that comes from Sham, speaks ill of them and slanders them and they just take care of him a little bit and all of a sudden this person is one of their Shia. You know, this dude was having some problems, that's all. You know, you didn't need to like philosophize anything for them, right? So I'm just trying to make a point here, just trying to, just trying to like elaborate on what Ayatollah Jawadi here says because there are a lot of people out there who believe, or not, I'm not, I'm not going to say a lot, but there are people out there who believe that Iman can only happen through you going and actually studying. That is wonderful if you can. But if you don't, throughout history we see from the Prophet's time till today, there have been people who have a very basic Iman. If you were to ask them two questions, you might have been able to undermine their belief even. But at the end of the day, it's not like Allah's not going to accept it. Okay? This is an important discussion. I don't want to confuse anybody. So if there are any questions on this before I move on, please ask. No? Alright. He, he moves on from this now. He says, okay, that's the minimum that you have heard um, from the Qur'an even, let's say. From the Qur'an even. This might even, taqlidi might even fall, Quran, following the Qur'an might even fall under taqlid. Because the Qur'an said there is a day of judgment, I accept. Because the Prophet said this, I accept. It, that even might fall under that category. Can you prove to me why there's a need for an akhirah? No, I can't. Because <laughs> there's theological reasons for it. Theology will say if there is a God that's all just, there, there, it dictates that there must be a time that everyone will get their due uh, punishment and due rewards completely, fully. You can't execute Saddam Hussein a hundred thousand times but Allah can take care of him on the other side. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Only Allah can. So that's a theological argument for resurrection. I bet you, I bet you lots of the, uh, the Bedouins of the Prophet's time were, didn't know this argument. <laughs> you, can, you don't find this argument in the Qur'an even maybe. But the Qur'an said so, so I, I agree, I accept. So taqlidi might have different grades itself. Sunday school teacher versus Qur'an telling me all of these things. Alright? Anyway, anyway, let's move on. He says there are two conditions, he mentions two conditions for Iman um, being also acceptable and that's also based on the Qur'an. Number one, he says, we have in Surah Al-An'am, verse 82, it says, Those who believe, 
Yalbasu comes from libas. So when you clothe something or drape something with something. So it says, look, the ones who believe, amanu, walam yalbasu imanahum bidhulm. But they didn't drape that iman of theirs with dhulm. So that's one condition. Now, based on the context and based on the tafsirs and all of that, they have said here dhulm means shirk. And Atul Jawadi says that here too. He says, we have in the Qur'an that dhulm, shirk is dhulm, a great dhulm. Where? Surah Luqman, I think. Yeah, verse 13. La tushrik billah inna shirka la dhulmun azim. That shirk is a great dhulm. So your iman shouldn't have shirk in it. Now someone might say, how do we put shirk and iman together? We've talked about this before. Surah Yusuf explains how, or says how, mentions how we can have both in one place. There are some who have iman, but at the same time, they have a little bit of shirk as well. What is shirk? I tell the Jawadi, tell me. He says, shirk means that something that only belongs to Allah of the kamal, of the jamal, that we ascribe that to other than Allah. And that which belongs to other than Allah, to ascribe it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Of flaws, of deficiency. So for example, there's a lot of suffering in the world. To turn around and kind of ascribe that to Allah, the bad aspect of it, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for example. These are all a form of kind of shirk, he says. So the, that iman, that pristine, uh, unadulterated iman that's going to really do work for you is the one that is not covered in any form of shirk. That's one condition he puts. Another condition, which is very important and has to do with last session as well, he says, wherever we look, almost everywhere iman is mentioned, what comes right after it? Amal. الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ طُوبَى لَهُمْ وَحُسْنُ مَآبِ So he says, these are the two conditions. When this happens, you're a mu'min, like, like in the real sense of the term. Alright, so you see he's moving on from the taqlidi one, moving on. But did he say taqlidi and then he said philo- the, the philosophical type? No, he moved on to amal and not draping it with shirk and all that. He just skipped the whole philosophy part. He's a philosopher himself, by the way. Jawadi Amuli, he's a philosopher himself, but it's interesting, it just stands out to me, how he skipped the whole part where, okay, please explain how Iman will also have other grades when it comes to the intellectual side of things, like Iman Taqlidi, and then Iman Falsafi, like say something like that, he just moves straight into practice, and Aman. He maybe he'll get to it later, I don't know, but for now, he keeps it very general, he says, these are two conditions, he says, once you're a proper mu'min, then good things start to happen, right? So he goes into verses of the Qur'an, the first of which, I mean, I'm not going to get into because we don't have time, but I'll just mention some of these verses that he's going to get into. For example, إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ الَّذِينَ إِذَا ذُكِرَ اللَّهُ وَجِلَتْ قُلُوبُهُمْ وَإِذَا تُلِيَتْ عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتُهُ زَادَتْهُمْ إِيمَانًا وَعَلَىٰ رَبِّهِمْ يَتَوَكَّلُونَ This first verse, which is Surah Anfal verse 2. Verily the mu'mineen, these are who they are. The ones who, when Allah is mentioned, their hearts tremble. And when the verses of God are recited upon them, their iman gets stronger and stronger. 
And then finally, they rely on their Lord. Now I'm going to share with you the tafsir of this verse that Allah gives, where he says, each of these depends on its predecessor. Okay, so that's number one. Another verse that we get into, inshallah. Allah nazzala ahsan al hadith kitaban mutashabihan mathaniya taqsha'arru min hujulud alladheena yakshawna rabbahum. Allah is the one who sent the best of discourses. A book that has these characteristics, etc. taqsha'arru min hujulud. That the skin of the people quivers upon hearing it. Who are these people? The ones who have khashya of Allah. Who has khashya? A person who has iman, of course, right? But then, ثُمَّ تَلِينُ جُلُودُهُمْ Then their skin settles and calms down وَقُلُوبُهُمْ إِلَىٰ ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ And their hearts, their hearts and their skin calms down and finds tranquility towards the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these are characteristics of, of uh, and implications of iman, the fruits of iman. But we have to talk about this. Wait a minute. Why is their heart first shaking and then reaches tranquility? What's going on here? And there's one more verse as well, the very famous verse that ends with, Allah bi-dhikrillahi tatma'innul qulub. So these are verses that he brings up as fruits of proper iman. Person who has iman reaches these these fruits and is able to benefit from these fruits. Inshallah, in our next session. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Any questions before we go? No? Yes. Right. Very good question. So when they're placing us in the grave, he says, what's the first thing they ask us? You know those famous questions. مَن رَبُّكْ مَن نَبِيُّكْ مَا كِتَابُكْ And all of that. So if you want to answer, we should have studied philosophy. Is that the case? I'm not saying you're saying that. Just So is that the case? What's going on here? Because how are we going to be able to answer the questions in the grave if we haven't done our homework in this life, correct? Yeah. And this is, a, this is something we covered in the uh, Death and Barzakh course as well. That the questioning there, as a matter of fact, is a questioning that has to do with how much we acted upon what we believed in in this life. All right. Or else if we even had studied philosophy, for example, and reach these conclusions, but we didn't act upon it, we still won't be able to answer in the grave. You have to have acted upon your beliefs to be able to answer there. Uh, so yeah, that actually just proves the point even more. Once again though, I just want to make sure that we are clear on this. That I am not taking away from the value of studying and you know philosophizing as we said, and, and theology and those things. No, I'm not, not at all. What I'm trying to say is that that is not the lowest degree. There is a lower degree than that even. And that is for a person to have believed in the true beliefs as a result of just seeing the character of the Prophet. right? Seeing Imam al-Hasan do something special for him. Special meaning have good akhlaq, not like a miracle. right? We have these stories. Is that a faith that you can really bank on, rely on? Not really. Not really. Because this person just following because of something good they saw. If this is the religion that you're promoting, I'm for it. 
right? So it won't really fly in this day and age, right? But I'm saying, what I'm trying to say, or what Ayatollah Jawadi is trying to say is that, no, even this counts. Don't, uh, don't take this away from the people, although it is prone to a lot of things as well, right? And so you will have to solidify it and work on it more, but it's a good starting point and an acceptable starting point. Wassalam. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. That kind of belief, what did they look at? I mean, not looking at the character of the prophets who were around, but they're looking at some miracles. Yes, so during, that's one uh, reason for miracles. That iman, I mean, once again, there's something happening in the mind. When you see a miracle, there is a little bit of uh, philosophy happening, and, and uh, uh, what does they call it? Psychology. Not psychology, no. There is some things have this, there is some computation happening in your mind. What are you doing? You're saying, okay, like if this person is doing something that only God can do, okay? And so this person who has the claim of prophethood and a link to God and being a messenger and bringing a message from God, if he wants to, do, if he wants to prove himself, he has to do something like this, and that's what he's doing. To the point that even some prophets would do what the uh, what their people ask them. So that they are sure that this is not something that I just mastered on my own. So like Prophet Saleh, it's like you know, a waiter coming up to you like, hey, uh, would you like to order? And you're like, you know what, I'll have, uh, I'll have a camel coming out of a mountain. That's Prophet Saleh for you. And the miracle of Prophet Saleh. Right? They said, we want a she-camel that comes out uh, from this mountain. And he's like, okay, your, your wish is granted. And so the miracle. So what's happening in their mind right now? Oh, he just did something that we asked him. He couldn't, have pre- he couldn't have prepared this before, right? And so this is something that's divine. And so from that they conclude that, okay, he has a, he's a messenger of God. Today, I always, I'm of this opinion that today we don't need miracles anymore. Because the minds have developed a lot more and we've seen a lot. And we can, you know, discover things and understand things. And as a result of not seeing miracles, less responsibility is on us as well. And so those people who don't come to that conclusion, God is going to have a lot more leniency versus those of who saw the camel of Saleh, yet they still turned away. They're going to be punished like crazy. And they were uprooted. You know, there are generations of people maybe, or, you know, who were uprooted as a result. So there's a lot to talk about here, brother. But yeah, even with miracles, yeah, that iman is also worth a lot. Yeah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.